Good morning, y'all. Great to be here. Beautiful day. Beautiful day outside. Beautiful inside the building. I hope it's as beautiful in your heart. This week or this month, we're in a series that we've called the Season of Grace. Last week, we said to you that grace is this unique entity that we always, that's always with us. It's either we're extending grace or receiving grace. But one of those two things are always happening. Now, last week, we began to introduce you to the definition, the concept of the word grace. We hear it all the time, we speak it all the time, but sometimes we forget what it actually means and how it works in our lives. And last week we said that grace is unmerited favor. We said that it's something favorable that we receive that we do not deserve. It's that good thing we get, but we really don't, we haven't earned it, we don't deserve it, but it just comes to us. Let me give you a a couple of examples of grace. Last Sunday morning after service, uh, my wife and I and a couple of other folks um, uh, went to lunch together. They took us to this new place in town and never been to one of these restaurants before. So we go there and and we're having lunch and it it was a nice lunch. It was a great meal and and, uh, all, all good stuff was happening, good conversation, all that kind of stuff. And so we're about ready to leave and uh, our waiter says to us, um, your, great, your bill has been paid. And we're like, what? Our, our bill has been paid? He said, said, yes, somebody, catch this, somebody by the name of Grace paid your bill for you. That was so awesome. My only regret was I didn't order a more expensive meal. That's grace. And then it set my mind to thinking. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you today, this is unprompted. It's not in the e-news. It's not in the newsletter. It's not on the survey that you're probably completing right now. Here is the grace challenge. Go and do likewise. When you're at a meal with something, even if you don't know them, I'm assuming these people probably knew us. But even if you don't know somebody, pay for the meal and the you know, for the person coming behind or in front of you or a toll or, what, or whatever, pass grace on. That, that's an example of grace. Grace is letting someone out in front of you in heavy traffic. That's grace. Grace is a door being held open for you when your hands are full and you're struggling. Grace is when your girlfriend says yes and now she's your fiancé. Because, brother, I guarantee you, you didn't deserve it. Grace is holding a newborn baby for the very first time in its life. That's grace. Grace is all around us. Grace permeates our world, but we often don't see it because we we get lost sometimes in, in forgetting that sometimes the little things of life mean the most to us. See, the Bible also has a concept of grace, and it's found in a very uh, familiar passage of Scripture, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And it says this, you know it well, it says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, 
not of works, so that no one can boast. What, what the scripture says is God gave you Jesus. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But God gave Jesus to you because God himself is a gracious God. That's grace. Sometimes we like to stop right there. But there's another part of this verse, and it says for. For is a preposition. It's a conjunction. It means since, and it means because. So because God has done this for you, notice what he says. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. So here's the thing. When God saved us, when God gave us Jesus, when God poured his favor into our lives, he didn't do it just so we could walk around saying, look at what God has done for me. God did it so that you would do something for someone else. That's why the whole four part is there. I mean, God could have stopped it right there, but here's the thing. God didn't need you to feel complete. And God doesn't need you to feel so complete you don't do anything with it. God is a God who is purposeful. And over the next few weeks, particularly in January when we engage our series in January, you're going to hear me say this phrase a lot, probably. God made you on purpose for a purpose. And that's what grace does. Is grace releases that, that gifting that God has placed in you to others. You see, the problem with our society is we demand rights. We demand privilege. We demand, we demand, we demand. And what we should be doing is just giving and giving and giving. Let God's favor pour over us and through us to others. But here's the thing. Grace is a gift of love, but there's two sides to that coin of love. See, one side is grace. The other side is mercy. We need to understand mercy. Mercy is merited punishment withheld. In other words, it's not getting something we do deserve. It's not getting the bad thing that should come to us as a result. In the scriptures, there's a little parable that Jesus told of a man who owned uh, a rich ruler, a king, a bunch of money. I don't know how much it was. It was just a bunch of money. It puts it out in talents and we can do all the calculation. Just understand this. It was more than this guy had or would ever have. So it was a bunch of money. And so the Bible tells us that this king wanted his payment. He deserved his payment. He gave the man money. The man said he would repay it back. The man failed in his obligations. And so this man deserved whatever punishment he had. So the guy was just going to do what he did in those days. He was going to throw his family in jail. Let him pay it off that way. So this, this, this servant comes to him in Matthew 18, and he says this, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him. Now listen, this man is on his knees. The word implore means that he's begging. He's desperate. He's probably crying. He's probably shaking. He's, he's probably got all, all of those emotional vibes going on inside of him. He's imploring this king. He says, have patience with me, for I will pay you everything. Now the king knew he couldn't. The king knew he never would, even though this man committed to that task. But what does the Bible tell us? It says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. You see, that's mercy. It's not grace. It's, it's mercy. 
here's what mercy looks like in real life. Mercy is the police officer giving you a warning instead of that ticket you deserved. Anyone ever been there? I get pulled over. I travel a lot of miles a year. I, I, I do about 15,000 miles on my Harley. I do about 20,000 miles in car. And then I do another however many by plane. I, I, I've probably been pulled over a couple of times. In Texas, we had, we, te- Texas has some stri- strange uh, um, speed limit adjustment zones. And, the, and the, uh, the officers always sit right at where the zone adjusts. You, you know what I'm talking about? I get pulled over. Here's what I do. And they walk up to me. I just turn and I just go. And then I play the pastor card. And in Texas, we're more Christian than any other place in the country, so it works. That's mercy. Mercy is when you've earned a C and your teacher gives you a B. Mercy is when you're playing golf and the guy you're playing golf with continues to slice the ball out of bounds. But you continually tell him, you may have another shot. It's called a mulligan. That's mercy. Mercy is when your wife doesn't yell at you for staying out too late with the guys. Mercy is when your husband doesn't yell at you for spending just a little bit too much money. Mercy is when the judge gives a lighter sentence than we deserve. Mercy is taking a wife taking back a wayward husband. You get the idea? You see, grace is getting the good thing we don't deserve, while mercy is not getting the bad thing we do deserve. And all of us are on both sides of that equation. Which leads me to our story this morning, which is an interesting story. You're not going to find the word grace or mercy in the text. But it's all over the text. But it's not in the text specifically but we see it at every turn, at every point, every circle in this text. This morning we're going to be looking at, real quickly, we're going to be looking at the story of the life of a man named Joseph. Now the truth of the matter is, in the, in the Christmas narrative, Joseph is almost always the overlooked character. There was, a, uh, there, there was a worried mother one time who phoned the church office in advance of the church Christmas play. Her son was supposed to play Joseph in this pageant, and he got sick on the very afternoon of the pageant. So she calls and he says that he's sick, he won't be able to make it. So the, the, the director of the pageant said, well, it's too late. We're going to have to write Joseph out of the script. And the sad thing was, nobody missed him. That's Joseph's story. Poor Joseph. Now, if you look on the screen, you're going to see this, uh, this stained glass window. Now, you will notice in the middle there's Mary who has the halo, and you'll notice that there's Joseph who has the halo as well. Now, in this portrayal of Joseph, he seems to be fairly prominent. That's because it's from a Catholic church, and, and, and the Catholic folks give Joseph a, a little bit more, uh, they give him a little bit more oomph. We don't. If you're putting up the nativity scene at home and you've lost Joseph, you say, oh, well. That's just Joseph. I mean, that, that's his life. And you see, the truth of the matter is, 
outside of just a couple of references, the Christmas story in no way orbits around Joseph. And yet at the same time, what an impressive character to learn about. You see, the world in which Joseph lived, was, was, it was messy, it was beyond control, it was filled with difficult choices. And, and like many of us, he found his life unexpectedly turned upside down. He faced disappointment and trial, but his story is relevant and it's real and it's designed to teach us today, right now, this Christmas. So here's Joseph's story. Joseph lived in a little town called Nazareth. Nazareth was in Galilee, an insignificant place in, in terms of the biblical, in terms of the ancient Near East. I mean, if you read the Bible, Nazareth seems to be a pretty important place. But if you didn't read the Bible, Nazareth was just this, this little out-of-the-way nowheresville. It's like riding through on my motorcycle in some South Florida town. It's, the name is what? I never heard of it. That's kind of Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town. In fact, it, in fact, all of the residents of Nazareth would fit in this room this morning. And in fact, our crowd was probably larger than all the residents of this little bitty town. The thing is, if you've ever lived in a small town, people know you. Now, they may not be able to call you by name, but they know what house you live in. They know, they know, your, they know some of your business. In small towns, people talk. They know, every, they know things about you. And so this town knew Joseph, and this town knew Mary. Now, as this story takes place, Joseph is probably around the age of 18. Some have speculated he's older. I happen to think he's probably younger. And he's betrothed to, to this, this woman, this girl, whose name is Mary. Now, this, this, this marriage that they, were, that they were going to be getting into was an arranged marriage. Um, I have mixed feelings about arranged marriages. I do. I have to be honest with you. For me, I am not for it. For my kids, I am for it. I, I have to tell you, as a parent, there were many days I wanted to put some Old Testament on their head. But that's just me. You see, you got to remember, when, when, when these ranged marriages were... were, were, uh, were, were uh, contracted, it was, like an, it was like being married. They weren't actually married, but they were going to be married. It, it's, it's sort of similar to when, when we're fiancés in our culture, but, but not exactly. Because if you're a fiancé, that just, it, today, let me, let me just tell you, I'll be honest with you. I'll be real. Today, when someone's a fiancé, that just, here's what it means. It means we're probably going to get married at some point in the future. When people tell me they have like three-year engagements, I'm like, what in the world? Dude, not me. My wife said yes. I said, can we get married next week? She said no. But I tried. That was the nature of this, this betrothal. Mary was probably 14 to, to 16 years old. I know that seems young by our culture, but that's, you know, that's just what they did. And here's the thing. I, we don't know if they loved each other. I, I mean, d does love happen in an arranged marriage? But, but here's what I suspect. It's a town of, of 400 people. 
Mary and Joseph probably went to the same high school. You know, they probably had the same friends. They probably went to the same well. I kind of think, here's what I kind of think happened. No biblical evidence for it. You can agree or disagree with me. You'll be wrong, but, but we, can, uh, we can talk about it. They saw each other enough that I kind of think that Joseph went to his daddy and said, Daddy, this is what I want. This is all I want for, all I want for Christmas is Mary. And Mary probably went to her mommy and daddy, and she probably went up, as my daughter has, has done to me on more than one occasion. She goes up, she sits next to me, she puts her arm around me, you know, she kind of rubs me a little bit on my shoulder or my leg, and she looks at me, she goes, you, you, you know the look. And she said, Daddy, will you get me Joseph for Christmas? I mean, what father's going to say now, Right? But, but it actually wasn't a bad choice because the Bible tells us that Joseph was a just man and, and the NIV says that he was a righteous man. That, that means that, that he was a, a clean-cut young man. He was a color-inside-the-lines kind of guy. He was the guy who, who did his duty. He was a good guy. In fact, he was probably the kind of guy that you pray <laughs> that your daughter would bring home. So that's the couple. So they're betrothed, they're engaged, it's, everything's looking good. I, I, I can kind of, in my mind, I can kind of imagine, you know, of course the whole town knows what's going on. So I can kind of imagine that the whole town is expecting this, this, this wedding. Because, you know, weddings were, back in those days, weddings were a pretty big deal. I mean, I wouldn't want to be the father of the bride in those days. Because the whole town was invited to the party wasn't just a few people. It was everybody. So your reception in Nazareth was 400 people, plus anyone else who was passing by, plus anyone else who anyone else happened to invite. That's the kind of wedding it was. So everyone is getting excited. And I'm kind of, as you guess, I'm a little loose with the story here. But, but, but then one day, um, you know, Mary has this... Uh, this, this, this um, this confession she's got to give to Joseph. Because you see, in Luke it tells us that an angel appeared to Mary and told Mary that she was going to be pregnant. That was a shock. But Mary accepted it from the Lord. Mary, I mean, if you read in, in Luke, it was a great response. She says, Lord, if, th if this is what you have asked of me, you know, I'll do it. That was, a, that was a great response. But that's not exactly what Joseph was was looking for in his life. Because see, they had, they had these dreams like young married couples do. We're going to get our own little place. We're going to move out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Life's going to be so great. We're going to have kids. We're going to have a minivan. We're going to, you know, all these kind of things. And then Mary um, comes to Joseph. And uh, she's got to tell him something. I think it's interesting in the, in the NIV. I don't, I don't know that this is the best way to put it, but it says that she was found to be with child. Kind of seems like a little bit of a weird word. And she'd look down one day and say, oh, <laughs> look what I found. <laughs> but she had to go tell Joseph. <laughs> Can you imagine... 14-year-old Mary going to tell 18-year-old Joseph that she's pregnant and, and that she's not done anything with anybody. That's hard to believe. 
I mean, it's not like Joseph is just, you know, he sees the baby bump on her, on her belly. It's not like he's thinking she's been sitting at home watching the bachelor popping down fig newtons and milk. And then she gives him this, this ridiculous excuse. Man, I've never heard it before, but it's in the Bible. And she says, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing's been going on, but this baby that's inside of me, an angel told me that God was going to give me a baby and it's going to be put inside of me. And, and, and that's what's happening. No one would believe that. I mean, you got to give Joe. I mean, Joseph was a sane guy. He colors inside the line. He's he's duteous. He's studious. He's he's all of those kinds of things. He's the guy you want for your daughter. He can't believe it. But Joseph is is just that kind of guy. You know what he does? He says he did not want to expose her to public. If you ever mark in your Bible, you need to underline that line. You need, to, you, need to, you need to highlight that one because that's pretty powerful. You see, in the Old Testament law, if, if, if you have sex, yeah, I said sex in church. If you have sex, I said it twice, sorry about that. I was going to use the word intercourse, that sounds worse. This isn't being recorded, is it? When, uh, when, you know, when you, when you do that outside of marriage and people found out, you know what the, you know what the penalty for that was? Jump, go to, run to John 8. You'll figure it out. It's stoning. Now, I'm not talking about something you ingest. I'm talking about something serious. You know what they did in those days? They brought you to the middle of the community. They threw you down on the ground. And they all picked up stones of various sizes. And they threw them on you until you died. Pretty strong deterrent against certain kinds of sin, I will admit. Still didn't mean it it went, uh, it never happened. That's what should have happened to Mary. Because she was pregnant. I mean, it was obvious her family. I, I can't imagine how her mom and her dad felt. Can you? Can't imagine how she felt. She, she's got this truth inside of her that she wants to tell people, but no one will believe her. Have you ever known something and you wanted to tell people, but no one could believe you? That's how she felt. But Joseph, he didn't want her to go through that. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. That is mercy. Because she deserves something, according to the law, according to all circumstantial evidence. She deserved it. But Joseph said, I'm not going to do it. That's mercy. So he's going to divorce her, and you know the story. Joseph is confronted by an angel in his sleep. And the angel says, no, Mary's right. What's happening to her is true, and it's real, and I have chosen you. I've chosen you for my son. 
I have chosen your family for you to raise him up in the righteous admonition of the Lord because you're the kind of guy who colors between the lines. You're duteous, you're studious, you're, you're all of those kinds of things. And I've chosen you. And so Joseph, he accepts that. And we know the story. He fulfills his obligation because that's the kind of guy he was. You see, when we look at this passage of Scripture, Joseph is this often overlooked and often marginalized character in, the, in many of our nativity scenes at home. But we see God's spectacular plan at work in his life. We see that there are lessons we can learn from, from, the, way he, from the way he treats Mary to the way he conducts himself, himself thereafter. Here's, here's what we might learn. See, what we learn that we learn that when we practice grace and mercy, God brings life into our own life. We also learn that, that when we accept the challenges of life, like Joseph did, the challenge of, of Mary and all of what appeared to be her disgrace, which ultimately became her glory, when we learn to accept these challenges of life as a grace gift, you see, the challenges you're facing are grace for you. Now, we don't like it because it's tough, it's difficult, it stretches us, it puts pressure on us, it causes difficulties, but it's grace. God is, God, in your trials, God has given you grace so that you can grow. And when we learn to accept these challenges of life as a gift of grace, then they're not a burden any longer. But we find life in the midst of our difficulties. And when we give mercy instead of judgment, we're giving life to others. Do, do you see the connection? Do you see how grace and mercy gives life? Now, Joseph never had access to the New Testament text. There was no way for Joseph to read the story of his own life. He knows it now because I'm certain he walks with Jesus. But he did have access to the Old Testament writings. And in fact, he probably memorized one very important verse from the Old Testament, because in those days they memorized Scripture. You know this Scripture very well, and I'm sure that, that when he was confronted with this moment with Mary, I am certain that this verse of Scripture came to his mind, Micah 6, 8. The Lord has told you what is good, And that is what it requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants from us. That's what He wants us to live out. That's how He wants us to give life to others. And you see, Micah 6.8, that's not a Christmas verse technically. But it should be. And it should be a verse that we live by in our own lives. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I thank you that you're a God of grace. That you give to us good things that we don't deserve. I thank you, God, that you're also a God of mercy. That when we've done bad things and we deserve punishment, that you, you withhold it 
from us. Lord, I thank you that even in this moment, even right now in this service, that you are God who wants to extend grace and mercy to us. Lord, I pray that we, your people, and that maybe we who are longing to, for something new in life and maybe to become your person, that you would release us to accept your gifts of grace and mercy. Bless us now, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, we have altars. These are places that you can come and you can kneel. You can get on your knees, much like the servant in Matthew 18. And you can implore to God the, the request that you have. You can just lay yourself out before Him. And this morning, if there is something going on in your life, a difficulty, maybe a Joseph moment, and you want to pray, someone will be up here to pray with you. And if you're here today and you realize that I need grace in my life, I, I need... I need mercy because I've sinned, but I need God's grace to fill me up. And you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that this morning. There's, a, there's an altar. In a moment, we're going to stand. People aren't looking at you. They're not, they're not concerned with what's going on at the altar. They're praying for you at the altar. But they're also just lifting their voices in worship in this last song. And, and we pray that um, if you have a need today, that you don't leave. In fact, don't leave. Please, don't leave today until you've met with someone to address the need that's in your life. Let's all stand together and sing.